Hi, welcome to Innovating Leadership, Co-Creating Our Future. I'm your host, Maureen Metcalf. I'm the founder and CEO of the Innovative Leadership Institute. With me on the show today is James Brenza. James, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Well, that's not a very fair question. We're going to go on for over an hour now. (laughs) My background is predominantly Fortune 50 companies. Started out as an IT geek, worked my way up more to the business side, actually. So rounded out with three different degrees. So you're an underachiever is what you're telling us. At times, yes. (laughs) So we're going to talk about today leading in emerging industries. You're in a very interesting emerging industry being cannabis. Tell our listeners what you do and why you do it, more importantly. Sure thing. So Greenest Grow is the name of the organization. We are focusing on IoT or Internet of Things. So it's around sensing technologies, automation on controllers, and then really bringing it all together, not as data, but bringing it together to a mobile platform with analytics and automatic decisions, helping people with thousands of plants understand which five need attention right now. And why does that make sense in the cannabis industry? Well, it's kind of interesting. So what got us started in this space was an invitation to go look through a commercial grow house. It was actually legal medical grow up in Michigan. And we were walking through, and it's just an open invitation because I'm a Six Sigma lean ops kind of guy. And just walking around and started scratching my chin because the guy couldn't get his business to scale. And I'm scratching my chin looking at things saying, well, geez, why are you doing that? And what's up with that thing over there? And seriously, that's your best choice for handling that there in the other corner. And just started seeing so many common trends of what I've seen in the past. Again, through Six Sigma, you're looking for staple ops. Through Lean, you're looking for flow and efficiency. You just start seeing so many gaps that I think for people that have been in the industry for a long time, their blinders are on and they just don't see some of those gaps. So just in the process of working through that visit, we started coming up with a product vision on the fly. Did a prototype in six weeks, brought it back, and it actually solved many problems. But it was physically brittle. It just wouldn't hold up to regular wear and tear. So that's what sent us down the full product development cycle then, and then application development as well. So let's back up. How did you end up in a grow house? (laughs) I'm assuming you've probably never smoked pot before. You are 100% correct. I am not a cannabis user in any way, shape, or form. I also don't hold against anybody who does. To each his own, make your own decisions, use them wisely. But then I started doing research and found out cannabis is actually an amazing product. It's never killed anybody in the history of the world. Thousands of years, it's never killed anybody. And actually has hundreds of medical uses and can actually help stave off other addictions. It's quite fascinating. So yeah, not a user, but again, being a guy who can apply technology outside perspectives, you see just a ton of parallels as you start working through it. So again, it was just an open invitation. I'm not a horticulturalist either. The invitation was just, hey, you understand what goes on with things. Take a look, give us some ideas on how this business might scale more effectively. There's also a personal connection for you. Yeah, both my dad and my brother, they died just absolutely horribly painful deaths from cancer, just awful situations. And in both cases, cannabis would not have resolved their cancer issues, but it would have dramatically improved the quality of their lives. They were both whacked so heavily with so many drugs and then opioids on top of it. It was just brutal what it did to their intellect, their ability to communicate. It turned both of them into near vegetables towards the end of life. Again, some of that's cancer, but the flip side is a lot of that was the opioids. And the reality is cannabis is much better for treating pain and is not addictive. (laughs) So that was the personal thing that drew me into this saying, hey, we can actually help other people's lives by growing cannabis more thoughtfully, 
more efficiently and more productively, we can actually help more lives. So that's what the mission is now. And I think it is relevant to know what motivates you and your story that you have dedicated so much of yourself to creating a really robust solution. Of course, it's a business and of course you want to make money. And there is giving other families a very different end of life experience for their loved ones than you had with your dad and brother. Oh, if just one person can have a better outcome than them, the past year and a year and a half I've dedicated to this product development life cycle is immediately worth it. What they went through is just brutal and completely unnecessary. So now we can go back to the business side of it. But again, I think it's important to understand what motivates especially entrepreneurs to give the amount of time and energy invested in the product you're investing in. Let's talk about how you add value now with the Greenest Grow technology. Sure. So the big challenge going into this industry is first recognizing I'm not a cannabis grower. I'm not a horticulturalist. You're stepping in environments that really are just not your typical space. But what you're bringing is a different lens to some common problems that befuddle a lot of other industries. In this particular industry, they actually clone the plants. Most of them are grown from clones, not grown from seed. So you'd think that all be identical, but the reality is they're not. And that was that lens coming in as the outsider, looking across the room, as soon as you realize they're all clones, you'd think they all be identical. And you're seeing plants just all over the place. Some are so much taller than others. Some are weaklings. Some are literally dying in position. And that was one of the challenges the grower had, is he's literally losing plants on the fly. So that's what really started a lot of the discussion about, well, what can we do about that? And that's what turned us on to a different level of technology. Again, when you draw from jet engines I've worked on, I've worked around nuclear reactors, you start looking at how you monitor things in other environments. And you realize in this environment, they're barely monitoring. We talk about in jet engines controlling on the fly at the edge of the wing what's going on with the engine at 35,000 feet. In a grow room, they're just treating it as, well, here's a thousand plants, here's a timer, and let's hope it all works out for them. And the reality is, again, getting back to taking better care of people, they've lost entire rooms of product. And when that happens, an operation can lose six figures literally overnight. We recently visited a grower. They had three rooms go out on them due to a blown circuit breaker. They lost $500,000 of revenue overnight. We can get in front of problems like that. Not only helps them, but it helps people get better medicine eventually. One of the things as I'm listening to you that's fascinating to me is this is a complete divergence with regard to industry. But it's a parallel with regard to Six Sigma, Lean, and using data and analytics to predict and manage a process. Oh, 100%. That's kind of the funny thing is once you learn how to work across industries, it becomes second nature. So you first met me when I was the chief data officer for the Ohio State University, and we were all about analytics. We're all about integrating this data across a university that has over 50,000 students. And how do we just not treat it as data, but how do we treat it as insights? Well, that's exactly what we're doing now. We're running sensors on every single plant. We're running hundreds of controllers throughout a grow operation. But we're not telling somebody to go sniff through the data. We're going back to what I've always done in my career is how do you pull it out as information? How do you bring them the nuggets they want? How do we bring it to the palm of their hand? So everything works on a mobile platform. 
and it's all proactive notifications. So it's all the same principles applied to so many other industries. It's just this particular industry is really far behind the times. Explain to our listeners, some of whom have been in a grow room or have grown a pot plant in their closet or something. Maybe. Others who have no idea what marijuana looks like. So tell our listeners a little bit more what the product is that you've created. You took the construct of data analytics across a broad range of, let's use students, but you're monitoring plants very differently than you monitored students. At least I hope so. Yes, <laughs> that part's <laughs> happening for sure. So the difference is first take a look at the cannabis plant life cycle. So it's cloned. It sits in a very small pot for about three weeks or so till the plant starts to grow up. It becomes about a foot, foot and a half tall. And then it goes into a vegetative state. Is right about that time we kick in. So we start monitoring towards the back end of the vegetative state for another three to four weeks. You start associating a sensor with every single plant. Through legal requirements in all states, every plant is tagged for its entire life cycle. If the plant gets treated in any way, shape, or form, or has to be killed for some reason due to an infestation, that all gets tracked and reported every single state. So what we did is we took advantage of that tagging. Every plant is being tracked. Why not put a sensor on every single plant? Take a reading every few minutes and pull that data up into the cloud so you can actually take a look at what's happening with the plant and the microenvironment that it sits in. So not just the grow room, but microenvironment, meaning the one corner of the grow room that it's in. So the pot? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're looking every single position. We actually run a thermograph of the whole room. We have so many sensors, we can tell you where you have a warm spot or a moist spot. The plants kind of like that, but the flip side is sold as mold and mildew and a lot of pests. So that's why we give them a thermograph so they know where the tough spots in the room are so they can go put extra attention on those, maybe adjust a fan so it cools off a little bit, or just watch for an infestation in that particular area. We then also pair that up with controllers. So we're actually individualizing the care of every single plant. So now you're talking about job automation, and this is a beautiful thing. This is how they scale their business. So now they can stop having to worry about hiring so many people. They can now let technology do it a lot of the work for them. The one difference we applied on that is we never tell them how to grow a plant. Again, I'm not a horticulturalist. I'm not a cannabis kind of guy, but I can help them automate their best possible craft. So I think of my experience doing ERP implementations. And in that, there are raw materials, there are processing, and then there is an output. And that processing, somebody, the not SAP or Oracle, but the company acquiring the ERP programs in the tasks that get done. I believe that you're doing something similar. So you're really not just sensing the plants, but you are also creating the flow for the entire operation. Correct. We help them organize their team fundamentally. So there is the whole plant care side, and we make those recipes repeatable. So they can actually break a room in half and do A-B testing and prove to themselves with data what recipe is most effective for a particular cultivar. Oops, now you have to start tracking the different cultivars to know what they like and what they don't like, what works best for each one, what optimizes its growth. What's a cultivar? Oh, sorry, a cultivation variant. So there are so many different strains in every single plant that they break them into cultivars. Part of the fun in the industry, these wacky names, you have cotton candy, you have East Coast sour diesel, et cetera, et cetera. They make up these wonderfully fun names. But every one of those cultivars has very unique growing characteristics. 
and to a small degree a slightly different growth life cycle. They're mostly standardized, but slightly different. So we actually help them track that. We help them optimize the yield for every single type of cultivar. So we track or help them track every single time they grow that and what they got for a yield. We then help them repeat the recipes they feel are most successful for that particular cultivar. They can copy from others as a starting point, tweak and tune, do A-B testing and prove to themselves with data what's a better way. We help them with repeatable task templates. This helps them bring on new employees and standardize the approach to how do we grow. It helps the gardener or the owner of the garden sleep better. It's all about less stress. Right now, many times they don't know if the work got done that day or not. And so they're always burning up the phone, calling back to say, you know, did somebody get this thing taken care of? Did they get that room moved over? Did they get that room trimmed? Well, now they know because the work goes out through an assigned list because we always know at day 60, you do X, Y, Z. The employee receives the notification on their mobile device when they get done with the work doing X, Y, and Z. They check it off, and then the owner knows right away, yes, my plants are on track. My guess is there's a fair amount of turnover in this industry. Unfortunately, yes. There is a lot of relatively young labor. They have not found their career direction yet. Many of them think they'll just come in and experiment with this, see if it works for them. And the growers are finding it's really hard to get good labor. It's very, very tough in the current economy. But in this particular space, it's not what a lot of the entry-level employees think it is. I think sometimes they come in thinking they're going to sample all day, and it couldn't be any further from the truth. So this is how we help them get the best possible employees, make the process as repeatable as possible. Because to them, it's all about a repeatable process. It's about consistency in product. Whether you're producing a recreational product for the connoisseur who wants a very specific effect from it, or if you're going after the medicinal side where the person deserves a very, very specific and repeatable treatment. Not unlike the application you might have done had you been at a manufacturing firm. It's actually 100% the same. <laughs> it's all the same principles for running the FADEC on a jet engine, controls for a nuclear reactor. It's all the same concepts. You measure constantly. You analyze what we call an edge analytics. So our decisions are made on the edge, meaning at their premise. Even though we bring it up to the cloud, let's just bring it to a mobile app. But we do all the decisioning and all the actions in an automated way on premise, just like a factory would. One of the things that's fascinating to me from a business side is that you have extended your expertise in manufacturing from GE and other work into a new industry. So the innovation is actually building the sensors and the software, but the concept, the innovation is applying it to a different industry and using concepts that are tried and true. Concepts are tried and true, but the challenges become as a leader, how do you look at their problems? And you're an outsider to the industry. This particular industry is very, very closed outside perspective because it's been under the radar for so many decades. And illegal. Correct. <laughs> so they only like to talk to people they already know and trust. So it's really hard to get in an industry. I found as a leader bringing in innovation to them, you have to shut up and listen. Mm -hmm. So even though you have ideas, what's the old expression? You have two ears and one mouth, and that's for a very good reason. It was more about listening to understand what are the challenges each grower is facing, finding that common thread, looking for the common solution behind all of it. That was the biggest challenge by far. You can have ideas and look for industry parallels day and night and espouse them all you want to. 
But if you're not listening, understanding, remaining humble, and then simply offering suggestions, have you considered, or what would happen if, then they become open to a conversation. And then you start getting into pilot projects and test runs, and then they start seeing the difference it'll really make. When you say the difference it'll really make, talk a little bit about ROIs and break-evens. Sure. The ROI is a couple of different dimensions to that. The first is improved yields. When you have plants that in about a 90-day cycle, every plant can produce anywhere from four to $5,000 worth of bud. And you're going to turn that particular plant position, since it does it in 90 days, you're going to put another plant there and then another plant and another plant. So within one year, you can get almost five turns per plant position. So that's $25,000 per pot. Per plant position, correct. It's about one square yard per plant many times. Okay, because it, it gets bushy. Correct. It's not just the eight-inch pot. Correct. Okay. So as that plant position turns, though, and as you improve the yield, if you can get 10% more, well, think about what that just spells. In a 90-day window, if you can improve a 10% yield improvement, you just landed roughly $500 per plant position every 90 days. So it starts adding up in that sense. It comes to less stress. Now, this is a bit of a soft benefit. But it's a huge benefit for the owner, knowing, did my work get done? Is my room healthy? Again, we walked into a situation where they lost a couple of rooms overnight, $500,000 right down the drain. They stress about that kind of stuff nonstop. Even their fail-safe system didn't catch it. But an independent monitoring system would have let them know, even at 2 or 3 a.m., you're about to have a serious problem on your hands. So that leads to less stress, and that's actually loss reduction. So you get a return on investment in that sense as well. Reduced runoffs. So we actually, by individualizing what every plant gets, we don't overfeed them. Many growers, believe it or not, are still hand-watering. They're growing hundreds, if not a thousand plants, and many of them still water by hand. And the rule is you water till you get 20% runoff. Well, in some parts of the country, we're in a drought condition, so now you're running water straight down the drain. Conversely, they're also putting a lot of nutrients in that. So now you have a lot of nutrient cost going right down the drain with the water as well. So by optimizing what every plant gets and giving it only what it wants and only what it can use, we're actually reducing um, cost in that sense. So the ROI is more output per pot per Square foot. (laughs) (laughs) Correct. Fewer resources in water and nutrition and better quality of life for the person running the facility who's not in ongoing concern mode. Correct. And then really through the A-B testing of the recipes, we give them a mechanism and the tools they need to scientifically validate. Are you optimizing the growth recipe? Right now, it's a tremendous amount of guesswork. So now we help them really narrow it down and with data proved to themselves this is a better method than that one. Then the other thing that we talked about was tasking per employee. So if you've got rapid turnover, somebody may not even make it through a whole grow cycle or through a year of grow cycles. So they get a notification on their handheld and it it allows you to ensure that the tasks are done. So from an employee effectiveness, just another resource like water and nutrition. Correct. And also the employees many times start in, oh, shall we say, entry-level roles or more junior roles. Frankly, sometimes the first step in the door is washing the pots because you have so much plant turnover, you have to scrub every pot or container 
after the growth cycle, sanitize it before it goes in for the next round because you don't want things to bleed over from one crop to the next. Those are the entry-level roles, and many times people flush out. But as they go into other roles, whether it's going through the gardener role to water or if they're maybe putting plants through the trellis to make sure the canopy is spreading out properly, as they step in through those, they're learning new skills. They don't always know where they have to go. And then conversely, if you have a grow facility with dozens of rooms, well, somebody has to be coordinating what's happening in each one of those dozens of rooms and which one needs to be staked and tied today or which one needs new trellis or which one needs to be harvested. It's that overall coordination. So as each worker is gaining new skills, we're also directing them or letting the owner direct them to where they need to be and then getting the confidence they got through that. So it's a standardization of all of that skill development and execution. We're back to just like running a manufacturing facility, it allows for repeatable production with minimal uncertainty. Mm -hmm. I think one of the interesting differences, though, is typically in manufacturing, you're punching out widgets by the thousands or hundreds of thousands, and you want each one to be completely identical. You know, the good old Six Sigma, X number of defects per million, But what we're looking at here is at least a predictable outcome. Every plant is still going to want to vary a little bit. That's a subject of either the cultivar or the microclimate that that particular plant is growing in. But it's a function of how do you get a consistent output on average. So it's helping them raise that bar all the time. So I don't want to say it's a pure factory, but it's a very regulated and more highly automated grow environment. That makes sense. This transitions running an agricultural organization like a business. And I understand that large agricultural businesses run like businesses, but it sounds like many of the cannabis growers, in part because of the legality, didn't have access to the same business level tools, as an example, that someone down the street who's manufacturing bumpers for cars might have had. You are 100% correct. And you are seeing a bit of a shift in industry, but a lot of the growers came up as cultivators in their basement, their barn, their garage, the field out back, so on and so forth. Not necessarily B-school. Not necessarily understanding how a factory flows or has lean operations instilled in it. So they don't necessarily have that full background. Now, part of the transition is you are starting to see a lot of people perhaps from outside of the industry who have been in Six Sigma programs, for example. I know a lot of growers are now hiring green belts. So you are starting to see a little bit of a transition. And I don't mean to minimize existing growers and their skill sets. They're great horticulturalists, but not necessarily around optimization and not necessarily around good operational flow. And then separately, sometimes not even good business decisions. I worked with a couple of growers that pushed back on a very modest five-figure investment that, quite frankly, would have paid for itself about tenfold inside of one year. But they got myopic on the five-figure sum up front and couldn't rationalize how to make this investment or understand how to make the investment. And I'm assuming when you say that, that they are profitable enough to make the investment, that this isn't, they have to give up food for their family to do it. Absolutely. It's it's sort of funny. One of the expressions is it's called weed for a reason. It grows like a weed and anybody can grow a weed. But the flip side is to grow a really good quality product on a very repeatable basis. It's not just a weed. 
So yeah, it's, it's a function of understanding how to make that investment decision or business decision and understanding where's your break even on that piece of equipment or that particular nutrient line. When will it break even? What's the full life cycle for our ROI? They don't necessarily have those kind of constructs, which to us seem like second nature, but it's something many people haven't been exposed to. You know, how do you run the multi-year financial projection to make good, solid sense of that? Well, and you and I both have been to B school and potentially have taught in business schools. So what is second nature for either of us is likely not second nature for most people, even those running businesses, unless they've been in very sophisticated organizations. Correct. And this gets back to being a good leader then as well, because now if you're bringing them a fresh perspective, you're not only providing leadership, but you're also providing new thought processes. And you can't do it in an overwhelming way. You have to be extremely facilitative as you bring that forward. Offer up the model and really kind of walk them through just through a nature of questions. When do you think you make that investment? When's it going to have to be repeated after that? What does the annual flow of that investment look like? What are the benefits? How do we quantify those benefits? Literally scribbling it out, I did one of them on a napkin. And at the end of the lunch, the guy's like, oh my God, I really screwed up. And again, you want to soften that. You know, this is better information new way of looking at it, it does appear that this would be a good decision to make. But it can be daunting, and not everybody has that skill set. You know, conversely, I couldn't grow a plant to full fruition if I tried. Yeah, I'm looking across the room at a fairly sickly little plant that I haven't had very long. No, we can probably fix that, just saying. (laughs) It's probably not getting enough water, and I'm not sure I can afford your sensor, nor do I need a handheld device for my $10 plant. (laughs) Oh, darn. Well, so does this extend to other industries? My assumption is, as you're talking about the sophistication of the cannabis industry, there is an ROI, and you're not giving this stuff away for free. There is a very significant ROI in the cannabis industry. However, we are looking beyond that. We're making our initial splash there, but in parallel, we're working on vertical gardening. So when you think about feeding the world, and how do you automate that, and it can be urban gardens, You can put a garden into a multi-level garden into an old factory in an urban area and provide that whole neighborhood fresh food, healthy food too, might I add, better than the stuff in a bag you get at the local grocery store. So that's definitely an area we're expanding into and looking at. But initially, we wanted to just put our primary focus on cannabis just to make it easier on marketing messages to get moving. There's other areas as well. Psilocybin is starting to get a lot of attention. Our technology has a complete and very smooth crossover into growing mushrooms, whether it's psilocybin or any other kind of mushroom for a salad, a pizza, so on and so forth. It's an extremely easy tangent. Psilocybin is kind of an interesting one. It's starting to creep into legalization, and people are starting to realize it's an excellent treatment for things like PTSD and depression. There's a huge future in that particular space, and we're trying to get positioned on the forefront of it, but you have to follow in legally. Yeah, You don't want to be the first one kicking in the doors because you'll get kicked behind a different door. Well, and I've had these discussions outside of the show, but NPR has done a lot of shows recently with people like Michael Poland. There's a book, Stealing Fire, that talks about how psilocybin has been researched and used medically. And actually, over a recent trip to visit family, one of my relatives is a therapist, and she was approached about converting part of their office to do psilocybin research. So it does seem to be getting traction, 
and to your point, uh, brings significant medicinal value at a reasonable cost. It is much less expensive than a lot of the alternatives. Yeah, 100%. And so I think this is one of the challenges we all have is how do we overcome some of the stigmas? Not everybody who uses cannabis products is a stoner. Not everybody who looks at psilocybin is a big tripper and a hippie just mm-hmm. looking to stay, you know, on a trip all weekend and on a whole other planet. That's not how it rolls. I think we need to roll back some of our perspectives and stigmas and think more open-mindedly. Be open to research, structured research that can prove you've got a valid treatment for PTSD, eating disorders. Just so many different diseases can be treated in a different way. Yes. A third of the population on antidepressants right now. The suicide rate for, I heard yesterday, 22 service members a day kill themselves. The rate of young people's suicide last November of 2020, I think the number was a quarter of the young people had considered suicide in the last month. Now, many of them don't do, so that's the good news. But we have some significant social issues to navigate, and considering options is helpful. Mm Mm-hmm. There's a bright future for a lot of these more organic treatments that, quite frankly, don't carry near the excess baggage that you get with a lot of the heavy pharmaceuticals, but they just require more research. You know, there's something else that's interesting to me is we as leaders of organizations are going to have to navigate a much higher level of complexity than we have in the past. Our brains are adapted to a certain set state. How do we elevate the ability of our brains to take on more uncertainty, more change? And again, this is getting off topic for sure, but it does tie back to the psilocybin conversation. I don't know about cannabis. I am far from a researcher here. But it does link to conversations I've had even just in the last few days about how do we elevate what our brain is able to do and tie it to then what our body is able to do so that we can handle the stress that all of us will continue to face in our lifetimes. So as I look at some of the research and publishing you've done around the Leader 2050, Mm -hmm. what are some of the key traits for leaders of the future? There are three that just immediately jump right off the page when I think about that particular question. And the first is the unwavering commitment to doing the right thing. Fundamentally, again, getting over how we associate certain substances with certain classes of people. Mm -hmm. Look at the bigger picture. Look what you're trying to solve. If it's suicide prevention, if it's overcoming eating disorders, improving the quality of people's life, even if it's end of life, understanding what it is you're trying to work towards first. So you're not just enabling stoners. That would be questionable. But the flip side is what you're trying to do is the unwavering thing, which is making people's lives better one step at a time. So as leaders, I think the first thing you have to do is set your compass in the right direction. The next is being a 360-degree thinker. You have experiences, you have expertise, you have perspectives from other things you've seen and done. How can you pivot them over to the new space in front of you to help other people see that parallel? Which you've modeled beautifully here. 
Well, we try, thank you. <laughs> but, you know, how do you find the parallel and be open for other people's inputs? You know, part of that 360 was shutting your mouth and listening first. Seek to understand before you jump into action. And my guess is when you first started this venture, having known you for a while, you didn't say, oh, I want to just go help cannabis growers. That was a long journey for you. It was a huge journey. Nothing against people who use cannabis, but in my own head, I associated most cannabis users with stoners. It was just sort of how I was raised. It's sort of how I've always rolled. Not holding against people, but just being very close-minded. You know, you don't need these kind of things in your life. What are you thinking? And then realizing later through just a little bit of research, it's like, oh my God, we are really holding back a great medicine. And frankly, through some really poor legislation and lobbying, we're holding back a great hemp fiber solution for plastics, for wood, for construction, for paper, just so many things to be broken loose out of the exact same plant family. But at the moment, we have to hold it back because we're not thinking holistically. Getting back to your third question, then the, the last part is intellectual versatility. And I think that's what you sort of branched off into a little bit is being willing to look at a new space through a new lens and apply what you think or what you know or are willing to question and then bringing others along with that journey. So just be ready to branch out, I think, is the big message for leaders in the future. Let's hit a couple more because I think they all apply. And honestly, I think you are a really good example of making that journey with some bumps. And, and you've said some soul searching. This wasn't a natural transition and so as leaders are thinking about where they are close-minded or where they have opportunities that may not seem comfortable, mm -hmm. and we're all facing things where we are not comfortable, let's talk about professional humility. <laughs> yeah, I've had my tail handed me a few times when you work with some <laughs> of these growers. You know, you're working with people that have just a phenomenal understanding of the plant. There's a horticulturalist I'm working with out west. The guy started out in plants and shrubs in high school, flowers, the local greenhouse, and he's been a horticulturist for 15 years. It is crazy how he can read leaves, literally read the leaf walking by in a plant and tell you exactly what it needs. And he's not just making it up as he goes because his mother, his peers, will come back and independently verify exactly what's going on with the plant. It's just really nuts. And it's just that understanding of I'm not at that level. I'm probably not going to get at that level. But I can work with some like that and help them understand how to extend that skill to other people and how to scale and automate for a more consistent output. So that takes us then beautifully to innately collaborative, pulling input from people with very different perspectives. They don't see the world like you do. They have had incredibly different life experiences in some cases. And because you are the one facilitating the transition you're having to, as you did with the entire company, create a solution that didn't exist, actually build hardware, write software, merge things together, bend things and create chips. So that ability to synthesize the information you're hearing from people without judgment, with a focus on, on helping them run their businesses better. Say a little bit more about that. The collaborative abilities really paid huge dividends. Part of that, again, is seeking to understand. We were doing a proof of value with a customer, our prospect, recently. In all honesty, I could have been in and out of their operation in one hour per day. I still spent the entire day with them. 
shadowing them, working with them, working through other aspects of the plant life cycle that we weren't particularly touching, going in and observing a harvest, for example. I spend an entire day just watching how they harvest a room, all the steps they go through. Part of my perspective is I'm looking at how would my equipment interact in that process. Because you shut everything down, you harvest the room, you sanitize it, you move new plants in, you reactivate it all within a day, depending, of course, upon the size of the room. But just thinking through how would we work together through that process and spending time to talk to them, befriending as much as the person just hanging the buds to dry, befriending them, talking to understand more about their process, their steps, all the things they're going through. It pays huge dividends. Now those people get on the phone freely and will give us all kinds of guidance. So we saw a few tweaks we can make in the application to make their lives better. We prototype it, share it with them on a call. They see it, like it, give it a thumbs up. We integrate it into the mainstream of the technology. So it's that ability to constantly be open and work with anybody. Keep your guard down. You're not the expert. You don't have all the answers. The beauty of it is you don't need all of the answers. You just need to help bring all the pieces together. You're more or less the facilitator of success. Even if it's not your own success, you're just the facilitator of success. And I think that's a really important point because many of us who are above a certain age grew up thinking we were supposed to have the answers and are uncomfortable. And this gets to the authentic and reflective and the humility piece that it's a shift in mindset when someone asks you a question and you really just don't know. Yeah, so it was really interesting in my early days of consulting. I worked with small business owners, and it was just scary. They think they knew all the answers. And I kind of get it. When you grow something from the ground up, you're sort of the expert, and everyone just needs to march the way you march. But it was eye-opening for me to realize there are different ways of approaching things. And that's always in the back of my mind, is realizing I don't have the answers. It's time to learn more. It's a bad day when you don't learn something. It's interesting having known you for years you're also evolving through this process. <laughs> My perspectives have shifted, yes. Getting back to just cannabis specifically, I have a brother who deals with addiction issues. He has since high school, continues to have addiction issues to this day. And one of us is bald, the other one doesn't have that particular gene, but it gives you a clue as to how many decades it's been. And it was really eye-opening as I reflected back on what we wanted to accomplish. It's about improving lives like my dad and brother. Mm -hmm. But conversely, looking in the mirror and making sure I'm not just enabling other people with addictions. So that required a lot of soul searching to understand how are you helping some but not hurting others. That leads into the question of then highly authentic and reflective as another one of the leadership qualities. Tell us a little bit more about your process and thank you for sharing more detail about your personal life and your family. These people are precious to you. And it informs the person you are and the decisions you make and how you live your life. I think a lot of it comes back to knowing your own true north, following your own compass and know what your personal objective is. In this particular case, realizing I had the opportunity to improve other people's lives and keeping track of that as the sole point of focus. And then starting to explore your own feelings to understand, okay, again, getting back to my enabling other people, am I providing a gateway drug or am I at least not providing, but am I endorsing a gateway drug and realizing, yeah, a little bit of research, you find out some of the biggest gateway drugs are nicotine and caffeine, not actually cannabis. It's not really a, a big gateway drug, which is sort of enlightening to say the very least. 
So it's that level of soul searching to understand, okay, what do I stand for? Why do I stand for that? And is what I'm working on a conflict? Because quite frankly, I couldn't look at myself in the mirror every morning and continue to work in a direction that is a true conflict to my values, which would be to help other people. So I hear personal growth, change, changing how you see things and letting go of views that you've held for 40 years. Oh, without a doubt. I actually went on a bit of a binge for a while, actually studying addiction. Again, getting back to, am I enabling other people? So watch an entire series and continue to pick up new episodes on it about what causes addiction to many of the different drugs out there that addicts are attracted to and keep reverting back to. It's become a bit of a journey for personal growth to understand more about that space. I'm not sure it's anything I can personally solve, but it has given me more compassion towards one of my brothers, without a doubt. And that in and of itself is a nice side benefit. We call that a win, yes. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm going to go through the list then because we've gone through kind of in a conversational order, professionally humble. And I hear a lot of humility and a lot of personal change. I'm glad you're hearing that because that's one of the big things I focus on. I can't solve every problem. I'm not an expert in hardly any particular field. I'm more of a generalist. And to me, the value I bring is understanding how to pull all those pieces together and involve the right people at the right time with the right skills. So I'm glad you're picking up on that vibe. It's a good thing. Second, then, I'll say is innately collaborative, because that's where you went. Mm -hmm. Third is 360-degree thinker, that you are using everything you've learned from across your career and bringing it to bear on this specific problem. And also, then, I heard tangential hemp paper plastics, wood products that you are pulling in beyond what you're doing with more efficiently growing cannabis to looking at the broader industry and also psilocybin and food mushrooms and vertical gardening. Again, looking at the broader system and as a business owner, also saying we got to run a business. That's actually one of my biggest challenges is how do I keep the focus on getting this business to scale and move forward? There are so many things I would love to be working on. When you look at hemp specifically and what you can do with the fibers, four to six times more productive per acre than trees. They do it in less than six months versus six years. There's so much that can be done in that space. But again, at the moment, I have to challenge myself, limit my focus, realize this is the part of the business that has to scale and move forward first. Some of those other areas of interest, I'm not sure you're going to reach full potential before I'm gone. But the flip side is getting it started in the right direction to help other people in the future is really where it's at. And I think a big advantage there is food production. And that's a fairly easy pivot for where we're at, one thing at a time, uh, get this piece self-funding, and then we move on to the next one. And I think helping people eat healthier food, especially in the food deserts that we're dealing with, will be huge. Well, and the other is, as we enter into more severe climate events, how do we ensure populations in parts of our country, and also Africa and other countries that have even bigger issues, how do we ensure people don't just starve to death? That's going to be a huge challenge. And frankly, I think indoor agriculture handled vertically is going to be the winner because it's a more controlled environment and you get more consistent yields all the time. And you're going to have better use of natural resources that you can reclaim and recycle. So this solution will solve potentially some serious ecosystem issues for humans. We're pretty sure it will, one step at a time. But the early evidence is there that, yes, it's going to be able to make a huge difference. 
And not that cannabis doesn't help humans, but larger systemic food. Correct. I think the food supply is the part that ultimately needs to be solved. The revenue profile and the market opportunity on this one, cannabis specifically, it'll trigger enough that can be reinvested into other spaces. They're fairly easy pivots, but you have to get the return first before you can do the reinvestment. Which sounds like basic, again, MBA businessman stuff. You know, you just can't get it out of the blood sometimes. <laughs> so then one of the ones I don't think we talked about, the only one I don't think we talked about, is able to inspire followership. How does that play in what you're talking about? That's actually another big challenge for us as an organization. We are bootstrapping the company, so we're not taking outside investors at all. We've had some offers, and we continue to just kind of keep them on the back burner. We don't want to wait so long we look desperate, but the flip side is the moment we're doing well. So we've got a team of people that are pulling in and doing all of our app development, all of our engineering and that is the big challenge of how do you get people to dedicate extra hours away from their family in the evenings and weekends and pull these bits together for us. We are now pivoting into some full-time members as well, and that's going to make it a lot easier for long-term delivery. But inspiring that level of followership, you know, to get somebody to not go out and play baseball with his son, we feel bad about it. But we adapt. He adapts. We adapt. It all happens after 9 p.m. his time, which, as you can guess, is very late in my time on the East Coast. But we make our sacrifices where we can. I think they're very dedicated to the, the vision of where we're going and then ultimately the financial rewards. But trying to lay out the vision of where you're trying to go, the impact it can have on society, making sure the team realizes where it's going to go. We also keep them up to date with changes in legislation. So they realize, yes, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. And this time it's probably not a freight train. Then you've got board members. You've got people who are allowing you to pilot in their facilities. So you have a lot of people who you are inspiring. And, and I realize I'm using the term followership a little loosely, but you're trying to inspire a change in an industry in some cases. Absolutely change in the industry. For me, using that word followership is really hard, only because to me, it's much more collaborative. So to a degree, you got to get the process going, you got to get it rolling. I have a lot of growers that pick up the phone as soon as you call them and give you their immediate feedback. But that to me is not about followership as much as it is collaboration. It starts with followership. <laughs> well, and we use the word co-creating because there is a collaboration that happens with that. So James, thank you. I know we've gone all over the place with regard to our conversation. And so I want to summarize a little bit. Entering a new business, the innovation was pulling from what you've learned across your career. As you did that, it required you to change yourself as the entrepreneur starting the business, as the primary stockholder, that you needed to do a significant update in who you are. And also, some was updating, some was finding True North a little differently than you did when you worked at a university or IBM. Second... I just really appreciate that we're connecting this to, one, what are you doing as a leader? And two, thinking about some of the bigger social issues that I realize aren't ours to solve during this hour, but a lot of us as leaders are really thinking about them. So where would listeners find you and find more information? My favorite hangout is LinkedIn. I'm always on LinkedIn. 
my profile is out there and usually just reach out and say why you want to connect. And I'm pretty open about connecting if there's a good professional relationship there. The other one is our website, greenest-grow.com. Lots of good blogging content out there about our thoughts around technology. A lot of that bled into team leadership and our innovation process is out there as well. It's a five-part series that talks about that. So I always welcome connections on that. And lastly, on our connection page, someone can grab onto Calendly and set up a time and talk, and I'm more than happy to do that. Readily available. Great. Thank I love you. to collaborate. You know that. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you. And I want to thank our listeners. I realize this is a slight variation from some of our shows with authors giving a how-to. It's more of a case study of someone who is living this rather than writing about it. And I think in a way that I really admire. So for our listeners, I hope you have learned a little bit more about leadership, about innovation, and have taken away something that you can implement in your lives that will make the world better as James is doing in his. So thank you for listening and please like us, follow us and share our content.